Thank you. Um, good morning. Um, I hope you all had a good break over Easter and got some rest. Uh, I know that I've thought a lot about what Dave talked about last week about and what I took from it. What Dave talks about and what I take from it could be two very different things as will happen with everybody. Um, but what, I, what really rested with me was the, the themes of the cross, that they're about justice and creativity, and that if we are to be anything of the followers of Jesus, we must bring justice and creativity as part of our story. So I've been sort of sitting in that this week and thinking about it, and I hope to maybe weave a little bit of that thought into today. Um, we're continuing our series, The Steps of Faith, and today I'm talking about the story of Rahab, or Rahab even. Um, I'm going to intentionally, she's named as a prostitute throughout the story of God as told to us in the Bible. I'm going to name her a sex worker. I find that in this cultural moment that is more respectful and appropriate, so I will call her Rahab, the sex worker. Um, I wonder if you ever sat and wondered what will be said about you after you go. What will be the stories that are told to you after your death? Um, and what will be the story that will be told of us on this street after many, many years? We're still talking about these stories that are told in the Bible. Rahab was around 3,000 years ago, and we're still talking about her. Stephen and I were talking about that last night as we went for a walk, and, and he said, I don't imagine there's many of us in this room and they'll still be talking about us in 3,000 years. Let's be real. But we are talking about these stories because these stories tell us of the story of God. We are all stories being told. I want to... Steve did come up with someone, the guy who invented the internet. Uh, whatever. Um, so he might be talked about in 3,000 years, but that's probably it. And I can't even remember his name in this year. So... <laughs> Uh, that says it all. <laughs> so I guess I want to, uh, up behind me is a quote by Eugene Peterson. And he has written this in his introduction to Joshua, and that's where our story is found today. Biblical religion has low tolerance for great ideas or sublime truths or inspirational thoughts apart from the people and the places in which they occur. God's great love and purposes for us are worked out in the messes, in the storms and the sins, the blue skies, the daily work and dreams of our common lives, working with us as we are and not as we should be. I find that so beautiful and so exciting and so restorative and redemptive, that God works in the mystery and the mess of our day-to-day -day lives, not as who we should be, but as who we actually are. So we're going to, we're going to speak to the, the story, but I want to give you the background and the context because that, that comes in the first five chapters of, of the Bible, the Pentateuch. Moses got spoken to by God at the burning bush. He was told that you're going to take my people and you're going to take them to the promised land. He goes to Pharaoh's because the people of Israel were under captivity and he tells them, let my people go. Anyone who has seen the Prince of Egypt, you know that story. You've seen it. And so he says to Pharaoh, let my people go. And he doesn't. So for 10 days, there was plague after plague after plague. The River Nile turned red. There was locusts. There was gnats. The crops died the lot. And on the 10th day, 
The firstborn of every household was killed. And at that point, Pharaoh said, go. And so they went, and they got out to the Red Sea. You know the story. And miraculously, the Lord parted the sea. And the people got across. And then they spent 40 years in the wilderness. And they got to the point after 40 years where Moses, he was at the top of Mount Nebo, and he saw the promised land, but he never got there. He held on to the promise of God, but he himself did not walk into the promised land. He died there. And there's something really very powerful in that, that sometimes there are things that we hope for and pray for and we hold on to, and we might never seen them, but we hold the promise of faith. And that's what he did. So he dies on Mount Nebo, seeing the promised land. Joshua takes over, and they start to walk again towards the promised land. They get to another river, the Jordan, and yet again, the Lord divides the river. So they get over the river, and they meet the first military city of the land, and it's Jericho, and that's where our story is set today. It's a military city, it's a garrison. Families didn't live in cities back then, so when I first read this and thought about the walls coming down and everyone being lost, I thought this was mass civilian destruction, but it wasn't. Richard Hess, an Old Testament scholar, suggests that there was probably only 100 to 120 people, and they were all military. Rahab and her family were probably the only non-military family in that city. So this is not a horrible story of mass destruction. This is taking the land and doing what was promised them. So now, that's where we are. Oh, and I didn't read my title slide to you. Rahab, hero of the faith, Canaanite woman and sex worker. What makes the gospel so subversive is not who it keeps out, but who it lets in. All are welcome. So, in Hebrews, by an act of faith, Rahab, the Jericho harlot, welcomed the spies and escaped the destruction that came on those who refused to trust God. So I think it's important that we read the whole story. It's a full chapter, but it's, it's a beautiful story. So if you can turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 2, it'll come up behind me. I think I got the typeface wrong there. So um, I'm going to read it. And Joshua, so Joshua, they're all heading out. They've been through the Red Sea. They know where they're going, and they hit the first military garrison, and they know that they have to take this as a way of moving forward. Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim, the spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab, and they lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all of the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them, and she said, True, the men came from me, but I don't know where they're from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly and you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords. And the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. 
Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you will also deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my mother, my father, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, our life for yours even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward, you may go your way. The men said to her, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie the scarlet cord in the window through which you have led us down. And you shall gather into your house, your father, your mother, your brothers, and all of your household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in this house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. They departed and went into the hills and remained there for three days until the pursuers returned. And the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua. And they told him all that had happened. And they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands, and also all the inhabitants of the land have melted away because of us. They go across the Jordan. You know the story. They circled the, the town, the walls came down, and so it moved on. And so I was thinking about that idea that the stories that get told about us and, and what will be told about us. And I thought about Rahab, and I thought about her, and I thought, she's always mentioned as Rahab the sex worker. She's mentioned eight times in the Bible, and on five of those occasions, we hear about how she earned her money. And I wondered 3,000 years later, if I could talk to Rahab and hear her story, I wonder what she would say about that. I wonder what she'd say about the fact that every time she was mentioned, this part of her life was noted. And so, I'm going to play a little bit of Rahab today, and I thought I'm gonna tell her story because there was so much more to Rahab 
than the fact that she was a sex worker back in the early part of her life. And so allow me to pretend I'm Rahab today because I felt like that was a good way to kind of highlight the beautiful, redemptive story of her life. So, Rahab, we know what we know about you, but we're kind of curious about how you're always called the harlot or the prostitute. I'm calling you the sex worker. Tell me your story. Well, I'm Rahab. I lived in Jericho. I was a Canaanite woman. As a woman and as a Canaanite, and yes, as a sex worker, I was aligned, I was despised, I walked around the city, the women stared at me, they weren't impressed, they were worried about their husbands, I could tell you stories, but I won't. I live here, I'm not a sacred prostitute, there are some of those around in my time, and they are to do with fertility and ritual and, and praying to the gods, I'm not that, I'm a common or garden sex worker. I live, I'm the principal earner in my family home. I live in the walls, 10 feet wide, 27 foot tall. I'm with my father, my mother, my brothers and my sisters. And I am financially responsible for all of them. But you see, there's more than I do. I make clothes. That's why I have flax on the roof. I'm drying the flax and I'm making linen. So not only am I a sex worker, but I'm also a businesswoman. And that's quite unusual in my time, but that's also who I am. My family are the only ones that aren't part of the combatants in the city. And I've been watching what's been happening. My God, the, the gods of my culture, the Canaanites, their wood and their, their metal, they're in the earth. I've been watching these people, the people of Yahweh, and I've seen them. I've seen what he does. He travels with his people. He is real. He broods over them. He parts seas. He makes a way. And I am scared of what's going to happen. I could be killed if I don't tell on these two spies that have been staying with me for a couple of days. Could be killed, but I'm not going to do that because I have seen Yahweh and my life is going to change. And I'm going to do what I can to follow Yahweh. So I told a pack of lies to the king. By the way, he's not really a king. In our culture, you are a king if you're high up in the military. And that's what he was in our city in Jericho. Nothing more. But I lied to him, put myself at risk of death. And I lied to him because I had seen Yahweh and my heart had melted. My heart had utterly melted. And I wanted to save my family. And so I made the deal, and we all got saved. And lo and behold, one of the spies was called Salmon, and I ended up marrying him. He fell in love with me. And as I followed Yahweh, we became together. You'll have heard about my boy. My boy was called Boaz. My boy did really well. <laughs> he did really well. He was a wealthy man. But he knew my story, and as a mom, I taught him compassion and gentleness and kindness for the stranger. I taught him what I had lived 
And I was determined that he would live in a manner that would teach others empathy and compassion. And that's what he did. He did really well. You know that bit of him, but you should remember that he showed compassion to Ruth. And I want to mention the fact that I ended up being the great granny of David, the king. And I also want to mention to you that I was the great, 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 great granny of Jesus. I was also that. So I did a lot. My life was so much more than what you heard about me in the few times that I've been mentioned. So Rahab, why do you think, why do you think that when five out of eight times you're mentioned, you're early professional life is noted. I've thought about that a lot. And I think, I think that the reason it's mentioned is because it's not about me. It is pointing to the greater story of the one who redeemed me, the one who made all things new. And that even I, as a sex worker, despised, marginalized, put upon, I am one of the heroes of the faith because I saw him, my heart melted, and I put my trust in him. And that is my story. Because I reckon that all of our stories, all of the chapters of our lives, are simply about pointing to Yahweh, to the beautiful one who redeems us, who calls us by our name, and makes all things new. That, I believe, is the story of Rahab. So much more than the simple reductionist idea that she was a sex worker. She, if we think that the theme of the Old Testament is the redemption of the people of Israel, and the New Testament, perhaps, is the redemption of the people of Jesus and the followers of Jesus, then that is what the story is about, always pointing to Yahweh, the one of redemption. And it's a mystery because Rahab, as well as being a sex worker, she lied. She told lies. And yet she had a really messy life. She didn't have a clean life. She didn't have a straightforward life. She didn't have a simple life. She didn't maybe perhaps live a godly life if we're going to put our judgment on. But she's mentioned as one of the heroes of the faith. And that is good news. That is very good news. The outsider and the marginalized and those who live on the edge, the mystery of God and the mystery of faith is that all are welcome and all are invited into the story. I love this. When I think about people and stories and I think about something that maybe I don't understand, I get people to tell me their stories. And I think about, I've been very influenced by this guy, Peter Enns. One of his quotes will come up behind me. And I want to offer it to you because when I think about justice and the cross, I think about our desire for certainty. So he's written a brilliant book called The Sin of Certainty, but this is one of his quotes. And I think it's helpful if we, as the followers of Jesus, want to expand our table, expand our thinking, and bring welcome. I think certainty can be an idol where you feel the mysteries of the universe, like God, are under our control, and you pretty much have it all figured out. And I think that God, by God's mercy, will take us beyond that certainty to a place of growth, where that growth, like most growth, 
can be frightening and unsettling. So the real sin of certainty is to want to go back to the way things were before, to be able to patch things up. I think about that idea when I think about lots of things, about getting to know people, about hearing stories, about welcome. I think sometimes I like things certain because it makes me feel safe. But actually there's beauty and growth and development and taking a risk and finding new ways. I think it would be very remiss of me when I'm talking about Rahab this morning not to mention what it might be like to live as a sex worker in the UK in these days, because that is a lived experience. They say that there's 105,000 women, mainly women, who are sex workers across the UK. In Northern Ireland, every day there are 308 sex workers. In our little part of the world, if you want to read more about it, there's a professor in the Department of Law in Queens, George Ellison, and he has done some sterling work. There's great charities that will tell you lots. Streetlight is a brilliant one, based in the UK, does a lot of work in London. So in this little quirky part of the world that we call home, we brought in legislation in 2015, which meant that it was against the law to procure the services of a sex worker. And in the 2017, the Republic of Ireland followed us. We're the only part of the UK that does that this way, and now Ireland has followed us. And so George Ellison has been looking at the impact of that, and he studied, he's produced some really great research. But what he was saying is that 70% of the women who work as sex workers previously worked in healthcare, education, or in the voluntary sector, kind of like me. Women who are powerless, marginalized, excluded, and trapped. They interviewed women who worked in this industry. Nine out of 10 want to leave it. The recent austerity bills that have impacted benefit system have severely impacted, in the majority, women who are at home trying to fund their family. Kind of like Rahab. There's nothing much new under the sun. And if I think about what Dave talked about last week, about justice and creativity, I have to think, how does the cross of Christ, the redemption story that we are a part of, how does that communicate to those who work these streets? A number of years ago, we as a, a team were at a Tobar conference, we're part of that network, a beautiful network of churches across this island, and, and someone Someone gave us a prophetic word and said that you'll come down on a Sunday and there'll be sex workers waiting to come into your building. It's still... That's huge privilege. And that came back to me this week when I read about Rahab and I thought about this community that we live in and I thought about justice and I thought about creativity. And we can't, we're not the answer to everything. And we have graces for some things. But it's good to keep our minds and our hearts open to all that is happening in this city. And where the Lord needs to come and bring justice. And he will come and bring justice through us. We are his hands, we are his feet.
Have we time for discussion groups? Or do we? Time if you want to. Okay. I have three questions for you. I wanted to. Why do you think Rahab made the list? Play with that if it works. I love that Rahab had a statement about her faith. She talked about how her heart had melted when she saw Yahweh. And sometimes I actually wonder, are these better questions for personal reflection? I don't know. Perhaps the one that maybe is useful for you is uh, in a group is, what risks do I take for God? And what risks are we taking as a community? Play with these ideas. We will, we will keep it short.